0: Hello, it's great to have your company as we begin a new series of programs here on Search for Truth. Many thanks for joining us, giving us your time. Our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, has given this series the title, Our Relationship with Jesus Christ. The basis of a Christian's life is the development of a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. And each week, Brian will be choosing a different section of New Testament scripture to see how it reflects upon our relationship and to see if we can learn from it and develop a closer bond with our Lord. This time, Brian takes us into a scriptural perception of our relationship with Jesus as being in union with him and how this should mould and influence our character and conduct as we live out our Christian discipleship on a daily basis. So, now to Brian. Thanks, John.
1: Some phrases, you know, are catchy. Others are really important. They can, of course, be both. Reading through the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, we are soon alerted to the fact that IN CHRIST is a characteristic phrase. It rolls off the tongue easily enough, but every Christian should register just how important it is. It may be expanded slightly by way of explanation, like this. In Christ applies to all those in union with Christ, which, of course, is true of every believer. This union with Christ is a salvation matter, whereas being united with other faithful disciples of Christ is a matter of our service. Both are important and we'll come to the second of these later, but we begin by exploring what it means to be in Christ. To be in union with Christ in some ways is like being in a marriage union. In a marriage union, two persons become one. Any debt of one is the debt of both, at least morally, if not always legally. For all those in union with him, Jesus paid our debt. We became indebted to God through our sinning, of course. But Jesus' death was also our death because of our identification with him. Let's read a key Bible passage which explains more about our identification with Christ in his death. It's Romans chapter 6 from the top. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus have been baptised into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace." What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. How would you define being a Christian, I wonder? From what we've read, one biblical way would be to say a Christian is someone who's died with Christ. The Apostle Paul says in verse 2 there, we died to sin. We're going to see that our being in union with Christ explains how Christ could take our blame and satisfy God fairly that our debt was fully paid. We'll also see how it confirms the eternal security of the gift of our salvation, and even how it also clarifies the significance behind our water baptism. More than that, how it gives us a real motivating basis for living in a new kind of way as a Christian believer, not living as we once did simply because we are no longer the person we once were. We've a new identity due to our being in Christ. A Christian is a new person. When Paul talks here about the old man or the old self, he's referring to us when we bore the name of Adam, when our union or identification was previously with him. That was when sin and death reigned over us. But at our conversion, we died, simply because Christ, with whom we're in union, has died. Sin's death penalty, which we truly deserved, as our due legal sentence wasn't suspended, but it was in fact served when Christ died on the cross. This means we've a secure salvation. This is because no released prisoner fears being returned to prison for the same crime. The error of thinking that we can lose our salvation flows from a shallow appreciation of our union with Christ and how his death was our death. Old Scots law from the days of the death penalty, used to declare, at eight o'clock this morning, Angus MacDonald was justified. Meaning, he'd been executed at eight a.m. for his crime. He was now free of the penalty of the law through his death. In a way, much like that, in Romans chapter six, the apostles' language of justification blends into the language of liberation. We've been freed from sin. Sin is like a drug. Although the effects of the drug remain in our system, our addiction is broken. Knowing this should motivate us to lead transformed lives. Throughout Romans chapter 6, sin is personified as a king who reigns or has dominion, as a master or owner who pays wages, and as a general to whom one presents instruments or presents arms. Someone has said that the preacher has two problems – First of all, convincing sinners that they are under the dominion of sin. And then secondly, convincing believers that they're no longer under the dominion of sin. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he issues two commands, two imperatives. First, let not sin have dominion. That's here in chapter 6. And then in chapter 12, when he says, present your bodies. Our identification with Christ, our being in union with him, is also the explanation for the symbol of baptism, which, for a follower of Christ, is commanded to take place after he or she is sure of their salvation. But let's pause to go over these two foundational points that arise from the biblical teaching of our union with Christ. And what are they again? They are a secure salvation that cannot be lost and a proper understanding of baptism as a sign of our salvation but not a contributing part of it, starting first then with our eternal security in Christ. You know, it's not a new thing to assert falsely that a backslider may lose his or her salvation, for the Apostle Paul evidently debated with those who claimed just that. They raised the objection to Paul's preaching with which Romans chapter 6 opens. Remember, that's where Paul said, "'What shall we say then?' Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, Paul must have been preaching one saved, always saved, because of the fact that some were clearly reacting against it back then, saying, come on Paul, do you really mean to say that a person who's known salvation by placing personal faith in Christ can then go on to live carelessly and multiply many sins without any fear of losing his or her salvation? If that's the case, they argued, we might as well all sin at every opportunity, if that means it gives God more opportunities to be gracious in forgiving our many sins. In chapter 6 of Romans, Paul shows how wrong-headed this point of view is. He begins his reply by saying, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the basis of Paul's rejection of their, We may as well live as we please type of philosophy. He tells them that the reality is that the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has in fact died to sin. But what does this mean? Well, in Romans chapter 6, Paul also tells us that Christ died to sin. There has to be a consistency between what it means for Christ to die to sin and what it means for the believer to die to sin, since both these expressions are used in the same place in our Bible. Paul reasons that if Christ died to sin and we're identified with Christ, then it follows that we too die to sin. A practical consequence of that is that it would be out of place for us to go on leading a life dominated by sinful practices. That's the sense of this paragraph in our Bibles. And to prove that we've been identified with Christ, Paul shares two things, a revelation of what happened at our conversion and an explanation of the meaning of our water baptism. These two things are linked by this idea of our being identified with Christ. It's at salvation, when by God's grace we're saved through faith, that we're identified with the Christ of the cross in his death and resurrection. We are taken out of Adam and placed in Christ. When we believe, it's as if Christ's death becomes our death, and it's then that we receive new life in Christ. Later, In water baptism, we demonstrate that fact by acting it out, that is, by being buried in water and rising up again. Water baptism is only a symbolic witness to all who watch it taking place that we are testifying to the faith that has already saved us. So our water baptism is, in effect, a drama about our previous identification with a crucified and resurrected Saviour. But after talking about salvation by grace and it being symbolised in water baptism, so that we lead a sanctified life, Paul concludes our section by saying God intends that we serve him according to a pattern. He uses the word for a mould, a mould for molten metal or liquid jelly. Christian disciples are to be like the metal or the jelly that's being delivered to the mould. The teaching of Christ and his apostles is meant to shape our lives of service. He's Lord... And this is part of doing what's right, and it's the full response to God's grace that we should serve by following the full pattern of his commands, even as we follow him.
0: Thank you, Brian. It's good to begin a new series with an emphasis upon the excellences of the Lord Jesus, so I hope that you enjoyed Brian's talk today as I did. If you have any comments or questions for Brian, do get in touch and I'll give you the addresses in a moment. And there's also a transcript book for all the talks in this series. It's available free on request by asking for the title Our Relationship with Jesus Christ. We never pass on your personal contact details so you can order safely. And you can order the book by email or by post. And here's the address Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, sn eight dy That's SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Also look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org and we're sure you'll enjoy this excellent way of listening again to what you first heard here on air. So once again many thanks for the pleasure of your company today and your interest in these Bible studies. Next week, Brian will be choosing another section of New Testament Scripture to see how it helps in developing our relationship with Jesus. And I hope you can join us. But until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So bye for now and may God richly bless you.